Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you need a Bible, please put a hand up because we've got volunteers who are handing out Bibles right now to make sure that everybody's got a copy. Everybody who's got a Bible and knows their way around, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If we hand out the hardback to you, go to page 980. 980, you'll find yourself at Ephesians 5. So because of illness and a, a few different events, anybody else need a Bible? Anybody else? We've, we've had a few bumps of trying to have a nice, neat six-week series. Hasn't worked well. I had a little family crisis, and then there was some illness, and Goodness gracious. So thank you to Pastor Dennis for preaching a great word two weeks ago. Thank you for Pastor John for putting your sermons online so we can steal them and play them during church. Um, so this is the second time I've preached, but it's part three, because Pastor John preached part two for us last week, So right? Um, if you guys recall three weeks ago, I want to bring us back and do some recap. I, I can't speak for all of us, but I can speak for myself. This is my objective in a world that tells you that marriage, implicitly, that marriage is about your happiness, or that at least life is about your happiness, therefore marriage gets dragged along. Because I love Jesus, and I listen to what God tells me through the word, I know that my goal, my objective, is to love my wife as Christ loves the church so that she blossoms, her spiritual gifts are put to use, that she gets the fullness of joy in enjoying this family of faith and who she is as an individual, that she and I both have voice, that we operate as a team, I don't dominate. By the way, this is all very theoretical. I've made a thousand mistakes in almost 14 years of marriage. But I know what the scripture tells me to do, right? So that she still wants a kiss when we're 100. I'm not joking, I want my wife to still want to kiss when we're 100. And deeper than that, we know what's behind this. What we really want are two people that love Christ more than they even love each other, which allows Christ to be the foundation of the relationship. This is what we talked about three weeks ago when we started off the Real Marriage series. A great marriage shows us how Jesus loves us. You're going to see it again in the text when we reread Ephesians 5. It's showing that Christ loved his church so much he went to a cross for her. And, he's, and God, Paul pulls that up and says, guys, this is your image of how to love your wife. If the Bible is telling Christian men to lay down their life every day for their wife, is there room for chauvinism, yes or no? It just doesn't work, does it? You cannot be stomping over somebody and bearing a cross on their behalf at the same time. Did Jesus have the power that he could have stomped over us? Say yes. He could have smote us a long time ago. And he died for us instead, right? Secondly, we talked about a great marriage fills God's world with God's image. We talked about the cultural mandate. The very first thing that a perfect man and a perfect woman were told is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. And this is about delegated authority. The God who has the right to rule the earth 
wants us as his representatives or viceroys to go rule it for him. Made in his image, we can even rule the earth on his behalf. And he says, go fill the earth. So the two halves of humanity, male and female, together, only together can they reproduce life, right? Just talking about the birds and the bees. To create more image bearers, that they would fill the earth so that everywhere God looks, he sees a reflection of his own glory in a way that is different than when God sees a rock or a tree or a deer? Is there room for the isms if humanity is really that beautiful? I, I can't do, do secular humanism if there's a God over me. I can't do eco-terrorism if, if all of the earth is actually below me and under my stewardship. It's not equal, Right? One of the beauties of the Christian faith is if I am on the highway and I lose my brakes and there's a potted plant and a dog and a child, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to think about it. God is up here. The rocks and the trees and the animals are down here. And human beings, the only creation that are made in the image of God, we have souls, we have creativity, and we write music, and we can praise, and we can love, and we can adore, and we can create, and we can steward. Is there room for any of the isms here? Sexism, racism, class warfare, like these things do not make sense if every time I look in your eyes, I see a little piece of God reflected back at me. A great marriage, we talked about, you know, in a broken world, we can't necessarily get pregnant and have kids. But the rest of the Bible makes it very clear the cultural mandate is going out as the gospel is. We teach everyone who will listen how to love and fear the Lord. I joked about teaching uh, a Sunday school class over at Kids Adventure. You never freaked out when you volunteered and said, oh my gosh, all these children aren't biologically mine. You don't expect every kid in a Sunday school class to be biologically yours, but are you allowed to pass on the love and fear of God to them? What a great commission, pun intended. What a great commission. We can fill the earth with the knowledge and love of God. People will know him and love him and fear him, not just through biological means, although that is big, that is powerful, uh, parenting is an unbelievable, hands-on, intensive tool for discipleship, but it's not the only one. We also said, realizing that marriage is not about me frees me to serve my spouse and worship the God who created marriage. How are you going to serve your spouse if it's all about you? How are you going to worship the God who made marriage if it's all about you? Right? And then I won't even try to recap, Pastor John from last week did an incredible job talking about all the things submission is not. Uh, we're going to cover the exact same text and the same idea to give laser clarity, ARCF slash foundation. Guys, I'm begging you, we've got to get marriage right, and we can't get marriage right if we can't get mutual submission right. And so we're going to spend a lot of time today going, what is it for the husband and wife to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're going to spend a lot of energy on this because this is what makes Christian marriage stand out unique over and against every other teaching on marriage in the entire world. In our cultural dialogue right now, people talk like all the major religions are on the same boat. Mormons and Christians 
and devout Jews and Islam, they just call it traditional marriage. Traditional just means we used to do it that way. (laughs) Breathing oxygen is also traditional for the record. But all of those groups do not see marriage the same way. And and this teaching today is what is going to show us how different Christian marriage is. Where instead of well, here's what the husband is supposed to do, and here's what the wife's supposed to do, 50-50, and that should add up to 100. Instead, Christian doctrine says you give 100 and you give 100 out of reverence for Christ. How much does Christ deserve? Give that to your spouse. I'm preaching my sermon before I even get to the point. So today, part, I should have updated that. Part three, I'm going to call Pastor John's last week a part two because that was amazing and it was right in line with what we were doing. A two-way street. We're going to talk about mutual submission, okay? In uh, spiritually abusive, emotionally abusive churches, the word submission gets pulled out to hammer Christian women and say, you need to submit to your husband. And then there's very little discussion about what the husband's responsibilities are or the fact that the entire passage started with submit to one another, Convenient, huh? Okay. So we're going to try to land the dismount on clarifying some of this. Read with me, if you would, Ephesians. We're going to do chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. 21 through 33. This is the Apostle Paul, a first century pastor, talking to a church that he helped to start years before in Turkey. So he's, he's talking to Christians about living by the power of the Holy Spirit inside them, what right living looks like. So in that context, he says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so your wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So just stop there and stomp on your wife and pretend like the rest of the verses don't exist, right? Is that how we treat the Bible? No? Are there 66 books for a reason? Right? Does Ephesians have six chapters for a reason? Brothers and sisters, when we take the inconvenient to our agenda parts of the Bible and we ignore them, we are pretending that we are God. I don't like what God said there, so I'm going to skip past that. Some of you might know Thomas Jefferson. To this day, he is buried with a copy on his chest, a copy of his own Bible where he took out scissors and cut out all the miracles of the Bible because he said those weren't rational. And he at least had the common sense. I wonder if he, I guess that means he chopped out the resurrection. I don't want to lay in my grave with the resurrection chopped out. But he at least had the common sense to know that it wasn't Christianity anymore because he renamed it the philosophy of Jesus Christ. He didn't call it the Bible anymore. We are playing God if we ignore the verses that we don't like. Verse 25, for husbands, this means, what's the this? Verse 21, verse 21 is the, is the topic sentence of the entire thing. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this is what it means, three verses, and now 25. For husbands, this is what mutual submission means. 
Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Lord Jesus, would you please teach us your word today? Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Give us minds that really do want to hear and understand and joyfully submit to the voice of God. God, we confess that we live our life inside a cultural context where God's existence is a political football that's tossed around, where marriage is a political football that's tossed around instead of being something stable. Um, what a man is, what a woman is, these are all flying around in the tornado of culture. And we think that these things are relative and movable. Um, but God, you have said otherwise. And so we're gonna need your Holy Spirit's help to make us humble enough to listen. God, we really like being in charge. We really like having our own way. And so we ask you to be Lord over us today. We need your leadership. We need your teaching, your correction, your encouragement. So we ask for this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, believing that you're gonna say yes. And God's people said, amen. amen. Note takers, grab your pen. Mutual submission has nothing to do with what your spouse deserves. Young single people, fill this blank in. For the love, fill this one in. I don't want to creep you out, but I need to creep you out. The Bible's really, really clear that God speaks and then somebody else speaks. Trivia time. Who's the second voice? I already said God. God speaks and then who shows up? Start of the Bible. God says, be fruitful and multiply, rule over everything. It's gonna be awesome. And then somebody else said, did God really tell you that you couldn't eat from that tree? Same thing happens in Matthew 3 and 4. God says to Jesus, above Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then Satan shows up. If you really are the son of God, I don't know, I have some thoughts. You see, I went to a philosophy class. And when God speaks to you, Christian men, Christian men who used to be married and you're maybe analyzing marriage from a past perspective, it's something you already did, young Christian men who hope to be married one day, when God tells you 
to love your wife as Christ loved the church, the enemy's first statement is going to be, oh yeah, but look at the way she treats you. You don't deserve to be spoken to like that. She owes you respect. She has to respect you. The next verse says she has to respect you. You know Satan knows the Bible better than you know the Bible? Does Ephesians 5 let a Christian man off the hook? He doesn't have to love his wife because she's not doing her part. Does Ephesians 5 let him off the hook? That's not rhetorical. Yes or no? Does, he, does it let him off the hook? Because you know what's brutal about this image? Christian men, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Did Jesus die for the church because we had our act together? We loved him and obeyed him perfectly and we submitted joyfully and so he decided to die for us? Are you kidding? That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's man-made religion. Man-made religion is do enough good stuff and Zeus will give you favor. Do it, slaughter your kid before Molech and Molech will send the rain for your crops. Nothing less than the gospel itself is at stake, Christian men, if you are waiting for your wife to deserve your love. It's not Christian marriage if you're waiting for that. Ladies, does Ephesians 5 let you off the hook for doing everything you can to deal respectfully with your husband even when he's not worthy of respect? Does Ephesians 5 let you off the hook? 1 Timothy 3 that Pastor John taught last week actually dives into this a little bit, going so far as to talk to a Christian woman whose husband doesn't love Christ. And over there, Peter goes, do you understand that you humbly submitting to him, even when he's not deserving of this honor or respect, this could be how he comes to Christ. Christians turn the other cheek. You got slapped, hopefully not figuratively, hopefully not literally, you got slapped, you turned the other cheek. It does not mean that you sit under abuse. It is a metaphor. We can still go the second mile even though we don't have Roman soldiers forcing us to carry their pack for a mile, right? We can still wash feet even though people aren't walking around barefoot with donkey dung on their feet. All these things are symbols that can still be done. Christian woman, so much incredible spiritual good could happen if you do the hard work of showing respect to your husband even when he doesn't deserve it. You are getting a chance to illustrate the gospel of Jesus Christ, that love and respect, if we just hold those gifts back and say, I'll, I'll what's the, everybody older than me, the younger ones never use this, but older, everybody older than me, what's that phrase? I'll throw a little coal in the fire as soon as it gives me some heat. Wait, I think you, there's nothing about this text that allows Christians who are married nothing lets us off the hook because what does verse 21 say submit to one another out of reverence for Christ not your spouse's behavior so let me say it a different way 
In a technical sense, this is not unconditional love. In a technical sense. Bless you. A Christian man has to love his wife and lay down his life for her, and there is one condition. Are you ready? Did Jesus Christ die on a cross to forgive the sins of the world? That's the condition. If he did that, love your wife. That's the condition. So it's not unconditional love. The condition just isn't on her. Anybody here think that a child would be better raised if we love them even when they're two years old and they're not acting in a way that inspires my affection right now? Do you think we could grow up pretty traumatized if somebody's just exacting a pound of flesh every time we do something wrong? If there's no grace in the way that somebody is treated, is the gospel even true? Ladies, respecting your husband, it only has one condition, and that condition is not your husband's behavior. The condition is, did Jesus Christ go to a cross to save us all? That's the condition. Before I became a parent, I had a few different things, mostly my own childhood experience, or at least the selective memory of my childhood experience. I had an idea of what Christmas morning looked like. And it has something to do with elation over presents. Oh, yeah, and uh, I get to see my family and my parents love me and whatever, you know. <laughs> calling it like it is. When you're a certain age a certain maturity, we are all wrapped around the gift, not the giver. Yeah, I'm preaching now. We do the same thing in the Christian faith. As I mature, I can slowly get to a different place or I can see more to Christmas than just what I get. But anyway, what would the philosophy of our world that kind of teaches karma, teaches behavior modification. You gotta be good. What, what does that philosophy of the age say about Christmas morning? You do good stuff, so you get stuff. Has that, has that thinking infiltrated Christmas in any way? I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Mommy and daddy are mad. I'm getting nothing for Christmas because I ain't been nothing but bad. So there's that song. There's also the mythology that Santa will bring you a lump of coal if you are on the naughty list. So we've been taught moralism since we were knee-high to a grasshopper. Our parents manipulated us with mythology. <laughs> that there was this mythical overweight elf that was going to sneak into our house legally somehow and he has a good list and he has a naughty list. I'm not creeped out in the least. You just stop and think about it. Let me ask you guys an important question, ARCF slash foundation. What would the first Christmas have looked like if we had gotten what we deserved? 
we would have got the second coming of Christ first. Brothers and sisters, 2,000 years ago, we did not want a conquering king on a white horse because we were still rebels. We needed grace. We need somebody who would invite us into relationship despite our rebellion, despite our brokenness. Those of you who are parents, even if it was 40 years ago, 50 years ago when your child was this age, can you guys just testify? Because my heart's already doing it. It's only October, but then Hobby Lobby's been decked out for six weeks. And my heart is already anticipating Christmas morning in, in a way that, you know, I, I can remember vaguely what it was like when I was nine, when I was 10, and I was all wrapped around getting stuff or whatever. I can honestly tell you, I think I am a hundred times more excited about Christmas now. Do you know why? I love my kids. I love them. I don't have words to describe the magnitude. We're not gonna get marriage right until we understand how love works. Love does not wait for you to be good. All right, testify, throw a hand up, nice and high, throw up a hand. If you can remember at least one Christmas where you should have gotten the lump of coal. Okay. Brothers and sisters, marriage will be brutal if we wait to give love and honor and respect, if we wait until you get off of the naughty list, my personal naughty list and nice list. When you're on the nice list, I will give you the love and respect that Jesus told me to give you. It's not gonna work because this, this is what marriage is supposed to look like. I love you first. I love you first. Your second blank. Mutual submission can be scary. This is particularly for the ladies. The fact that fear was addressed so heavily in the First Peter 3 text, especially in verse 6. Could it be terrifying for a man to say, to receive from the word, man, I've got to love my wife as long as we both shall live, even if she never responds to my love. Would that be scary? Say yes. Would it be even scarier for a woman, especially 2,000 years ago, but even today, for a woman to say, I'm going to humbly submit to my husband's leadership even if he never responds? Would that be terrifying? Say yes. That's terrifying. As an aside, and this is why we have 66 books of the Bible, the Bible never tells somebody that they have to stay in an abusive situation. In fact, if we went severe Old Testament, if a husband was abusing his wife, not only we do not have to go to the wife and say, oh, well, you just need to be submissive while he beats you. We would go to the elders and bad things would happen to that dude. When you get a big sense of justice in your heart, when you get angry at wrongdoing, you want to go Old Testament on somebody sometimes. I don't know so much about that grace. 
right? Anybody seen the last scene of The Godfather? (laughs) You can abuse my daughter, but the piano in the dance hall is missing one wire, (laughs) is missing one string, right? My, My wrath is going to come at some point. I wish that there were ways sometimes in my flesh, I wish there were ways to to kick a dude in the face, okay? But in grace, in this unbelievable love that we've been shown in the cross and what we've been commanded, we have the grace of things called teaching and rebuke and correction and encouragement where the community of faith absolutely gets in a guy's face as loving as we can, but firmly and clearly, straight from the scriptures. Hey, brother, this, what you just said or what you've been doing, this doesn't look like laying down your, wife, your life as Christ loved the church. This is why isolation kills. We isolate ourselves to protect our sin. We wanna keep on sinning. That's why we don't do relationship deeply. We don't want the encouragement and the teaching and the rebuke. Can submission be scary? For both genders, I think particularly for women, yeah. It could be scary. Is this going to put me in a position of powerlessness? Important question. Did Jesus submit to the feeling of powerlessness even though he was never actually powerless? Did he choose to feel that? Book of Hebrews says that he experienced every temptation that we have ever faced and he did it successfully saying no to every single temptation. So he has to remind Peter in the garden, hey, put your sword away. You live by the sword, you're gonna die by the sword. I could call 12 legions of angels at any time. I'm not actually powerless. I'm just submitting to this because you need me to die for you. Here's what Peter says about these emotions of powerlessness and fear Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters, ladies. You are the daughters of Sarah. Just, this is the imagery of being sons of Abraham. So you're, you are a part of the family of faith and you're there by faith, not by Jewish blood. You are her daughters when you do what is right. This is talking about treating your husband rightly without fear of what your husbands might do. In the Wednesday night disciple group, we studied Proverbs 31 a few weeks ago. And it talks about the pro- this woman laughs without fear of the future. Like her joy is unrestrained. Could stuff happen? Sure. But there's this strong faith inside this woman. And this is for the ladies, but this is for the fellas too. This is unbelievably difficult, but I feel like the scripture calls us to it. Guys, the spiritual side of mutual submission, we're going to be afraid sometimes. In a a culture that is addicted to comfort, we oftentimes treat fear as an end-all excuse. Oh, I'm afraid? Three strikes, you're out, we're done. How many Navy SEALs would we have if fear was an acceptable excuse? According to the Bible, what's harder, being a soldier or being a husband? Only one of them has to lay down life for his wife as Christ laid down his life for the church. Fear is going to be there, 
because of the brokenness of our world? Will my spouse respond to me honoring him? Will my spouse respond to me loving her? Ah, I feel so out of control. And I think what the scripture would remind us, as as he's saying about the, the daughters of Sarah here, these women are appealing to a higher authority. They know that they are honoring Christ by choosing into the difficulty, by choosing into the fear. I'm gonna shine the light of Jesus Christ in my marriage, even if it's terrifying. That's what these women are saying. And this goes beyond just the marriage. Some of you fellas, you've gotta shine the light of Jesus Christ in your family, and you know right now, your brother, your dad, there's nobody when Thanksgiving comes up in a few weeks that wants to bow their head and pray a prayer at the start of that meal. And they're kind of just ticked off that you're a Christian in the first place. We do not get to be Christians comfortably. There's no such thing. That just, that's a fairy tale that doesn't exist. The suburbs would have us believe something different. Third blank. Mutual submission is how God cares for married couples. And I should add in children as well. Mutual submission is how God cares for a married couple. Look at the 119th Psalm. This entire Psalm is about God's word and his commands. So cool. Do not snatch your word of truth from me for your regulations are my only hope. Is that the opposite of our culture or what? Somebody else telling me what to do is my only hope. Our culture is on fire right now, raging against each other over whether or not you can tell me what to do. Right? Don't look at me like I'm crazy. That's what the fight is essentially about. I'm in charge of me or you're in charge of me. And you know what neither side is talking about? Jesus being in charge of me. No one's talking about that. You, you God, your regulations are my only hope. Your regulations I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. Is that sentence possible without heaven? That's loaded, isn't it? I will be sinless. I will walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your commandments. So cherishing the voice of God and obeying the voice of God, this is where freedom is found. Guys, The Spirit of the living God inspiring our brother Paul in Ephesians 5, our brother Peter in 1 Peter 3. These instructions are for our blessing. Do we at our core believe that God is good and that God is loving? If we believe it in our bones, we will accept the commands of God as a blessing instead of as a burden or a curse. Do we believe he loves us more than we love ourselves? Do we believe he is wise, that he's benevolent? This is a picture of what it looks like when I do it on my own. I mean, boundaries are so restrictive, right? Cramp my style. Don't tread on me. I'll get my yellow flag out. 
Does anybody want an infant to be a libertarian? I don't. My kids don't get to be libertarians. When, when, I, when you have the mental capacity to sense danger, the emotional capacity to who you are, the spiritual capacity to know how much God loves you and who you are in him, we're, we're going to work towards greater and greater self-determination when you know how to be controlled by the spirit. I don't want Gabriel controlling Gabriel because Gabriel is a sinner. I want the Holy Spirit of the living God controlling Gabriel. And it's gonna take years and we're gonna see what happens. This is you. This is me. Romans 8 tells us the old self can never, ever do what pleases God. And it never will. So what about living life behind bars? This is restrictive, right? Mom and dad totally trampled on my freedom. They put me behind bars. This is terrible. Or I have life. These bars are keeping me from dangerous places, things that are beyond what I can understand. ARCF Foundation, my, my, my call to you in all areas of life, but today related to marriage, please, please, please joyfully embrace God's commands on us, all of them, but related to marriage as well. To not find this image patronizing requires that I'm willing to say, I, Greg Kaiser, don't know it all. That if my father in his wisdom puts boundaries around me, I'm gonna trust those boundaries because he loves me. This image will offend you if you don't trust God. It will. But if he's big enough to speak the cosmos into existence, if he can create matter where there is none, he can definitely tell me how a marriage works best. Because I want this. what I want. Years and years of giving God the honor and glory that he deserves because I gave Emily the love and the honor and the respect that God told me to give to her. This is what I want. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to watch some announcements. Convince us today, Holy Spirit, that the greatest possible way to live life is in glad submission to Christ. Make the marriages of this church an example to our city, an example to our kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews and our friends and neighbors of the love of God. In the precious and saving name of Jesus Christ, we pray and God's people said, Amen. Well, good morning, church family. Happy October. Seriously, 
Can you actually believe that summer is already over? Well, now we're into the fall season and that means that our annual Halloween alternative is just right around the corner. If you're new to our church family, Pumpkin Blast has been going on for many years as a way to provide a safe place for our community to come, have some fun, play some games, and gather some candy. It is our single most attended community outreach event. So we're going to need your help. Volunteer signups start next week, as well as our candy donations. Now, if you are going to be bringing in candy, we do ask that you please purchase the prepackaged candy that come in a bag, not the individually wrapped like you would find in a bulk section. Again, all that starts next week. So we want to encourage you to make sure that you sign up. But in the meantime, please make sure you mark your calendars for Pumpkin Blast Sunday, October 31st from 6 to 8 p.m. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about the awesomeness that happened with the Adopt-A-Backpack program for the kids in the Philippines. And our missions team was absolutely excited about that. And as a result of your support, our Philippines missions team wants to cook you up a delicious meal as a way to say thank you. The thank you dinner is going to be happening next Sunday at 6 p.m. right across the courtyard in the Connection Center. And let me tell you, this food is absolutely delicious. So you are not going to want to miss out on this. So we'll see you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right across the way in the courtyard. Do you play an instrument? Is mayonnaise an instrument? No, Patrick. Mayonnaise is not an instrument. Are you tech savvy? Well, do we have a ministry opportunity for you? Our worship and media ministry is always on the lookout for new members who can play an instrument up here on the stage or willing to join the tech team, work in the sound and or media. So don't be shy. If you would like to join in some sort of capacity, then we would like to invite you to our workshop that we're having on Sunday, October 24th at 10.30 a.m. in the office. We certainly hope that you will consider joining. And if you have any questions, please make sure you get in touch with Melissa by emailing her at office at myarcf.com or you can call the church office during business hours. So mark your calendars, Sunday, October 24th at 10.30 a.m. Now, before I go, in case you missed it last week, Pastors and Pastries got moved to today. So if you're new or somewhat new and you want to get to know the staff better, then we want to invite you to come join us at 10.30 in just a few minutes over in the office. And our staff and pastors are excited to get to know you. So if you're going to be a part of that, we'll see you in a few minutes. All right, church family, that's all I've got for you. As always, please make sure you grab yourself a bulletin, read it left to right, front to back for more events and more information.